The goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising. Welcome to Adjunct, where we interview the top advertising lecturers and professors across the country to lend some knowledge to your ear without spending thousands of dollars on a university credit. This week, we learn from Marshall Goldman. Marshall is a professional lecturer at DePaul University in Chicago, where he focuses on writing and advertising. He has such a way with words and storytelling this episode, I cannot wait for you to hear and learn from him. But Marshall is an international executive creative director and eminent copywriter who worked at Leo Burnett in the U.S. and throughout Europe, Africa, and the Middle East for over 20 years. In all his client and educational work, Goldman stresses the importance of what he calls brand patriotism. It's a position he defines as an unflagging belief in and defense of the value, power, and meaning of a brand. We uncover it all in this episode. We speak about how aspiring advertisers should become brand patriots and how to do it in a way that lands you in your dream agency. Learning and connecting with Marshall is an excellent step to breaking into advertising. And I have another great step, too, to help you out. I have spoken to hundreds of professionals, and the consensus is that you need a few fantastic campaigns that stick out to break into advertising. So if you want to break into this business as an art director, copywriter, strategist, or even account sometimes, it is worth checking out Breaking and Entering's brand new Crowbar Awards. We are releasing a new creative brief every quarter for you to work on with a friend. Whether or not you enter is totally up to you, but we do have Greg Hahn judging this first show. Greg Hahn is co-founder of Mischief, one of the top ad agencies in the business right now. So it's an award and a tool. The best campaign will earn an actual blue crowbar, but we do not advise you to break into an advertising agency with it. But if you do, take some pictures because that's pretty funny. Recruiters and professionals will be watching the winners, so it can really help. See this podcast description for more details on how to enter or reach out to me directly. Happy to help. Now on with the show. This is the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast Adjunct Edition. And as usual, I'm your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. All right, Marshall Goldman, welcome to the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. This is the adjunct edition. How are you doing today? Thanks for coming on. I'm fine, Gino. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. We're really not too far from each other right now. We learned uh, you're in Chicago, Lincoln Park. So am I. I am, and you're in Lincoln Park as well. Just another part of it. Do you actually do you go into the office? I go 100% of the time. Ah, cool. I, as much as I can. What's that? I go as often as I can. It's, I mean, for me, it's that's where I work. I don't work in my office, like my home office here. It's that's what it means to be there. It makes a difference for me. I love going in. Uh, I'm off right now, so I'm not there, and my, I have a studio there too, so I can use the podcast. They let me podcast there in that studio. It's super, super nice. That's cool. So, and also maybe a little bit of job insecurity. I think showing up like just makes me feel better and the balance too of like separating home and work is a mental health thing for me and also like people did it for a long time 
before the pandemic. I don't know. Let's bring it back. I agree. Sorry to digress, but no, no, that's a, that's a good point. So we're gonna, but we're here to talk about you, and we're here to talk about your experience in Chicago advertising and working at DePaul. Because today you are currently a professional lecturer and writing and advertising at DePaul, DePaul University. Is that correct? It is. Great. So what was that? That's the title they use. I'm not really a professor, although I get called professor, but officially I'm not. Officially, I'm a professional lecturer. Okay. Yeah. What's the difference between a professional lecturer and a professor then? Probably the PhD. And you didn't, you don't have a PhD. I, I don't, which is why I can't become a professor there and, and earn tenure, which I, I think, you know, is, is again, one of these um, things that that's just been part of university histories for, you know, centuries, but the way in which schools are going um, and, and the, the desire to bring in people, I mean, just the very fact that, that they have people like myself or adjuncts who are professional industry people, not academic. It, to me, you have to rethink the whole PhD. Like, I, I would think, you know, someone with 24 years experience um, at an that's agency a PhD. globally, that's a PhD, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but it still doesn't work that way yet. So, um, well, they have, we, we can't get tenure. Right. And you don't care. That's not what it's about. I'm, but, no, it, but it is a job security for for you know. I mean, oh yeah, like that that is one of the key things is that it's among other things among its recognition and all the other mm-hmm. uh, tenure is job security to up to far stronger than my annual renewal. Of course, like an insurance policy. Um, advertising, especially, should well they have professors of practice. Uh, they and I've noticed there. I have interviewed people that have gotten tenure track because of like their extracurriculars that they manage, and they kind of like they get around the system. They they work the system a little bit, but I just learning about the tenure track process seems miserable. I don't know if I would ever want to go PhD tenure track. And then somebody said it was the most grueling experience of their life, uh, which is interesting. So. Yeah, it's it's stressful. I mean, that's that's how I started actually. Um, in college, I wanted to be a university professor, like that. That was what I want. I wanted to. I'm, my background is is you know English comparative literature and creative writing. So, oh. I wanted to teach literature and creative writing, predominantly poetry. And so I got the master's degree. I went to the University of Washington in Seattle. Beautiful school. Uh, beautiful place in the world. Yeah. See pictures I've ever been. Yeah, it's awesome. So I got the I got my master's and I was sort of like I got accepted into the PhD program. And I but I guess I just was a little bit I don't want to say burned out, but I just wanted a little break from school. And I just figured that I could always they accepted me. I can always come back in a year or two, you know, it's nothing's gonna really change, but I would take a little break. But Um, you changed. I did, but I'll be. It was a, one of the weirdest experiences of my life, is because I never thought about going into advertising. And when I went to school, they didn't have programs like Pratt. So right. most of the people who went into advertising on the copy side were like English majors. 
um, you know, maybe philosophy, or they became the strategists. Sure. And, you know, art students became the art directors. Yep. There was there was no school and, and program like Pratt, for example, where if that's what I want to do. This is almost like, you know, going to med school. Right. When you get out, you have a job. When I left school, I didn't know what to do. I, I literally, it was like, uh, <laughs> I, I had no idea how to apply my what I was good at and my skills in, in the world in Chicago. And then one day somebody says to me, hey, why don't you freelance? And I okay. looked at them and I said, what does freelance mean? I swear to God, I didn't even know what the word was. Sure. And so, well, you know, you kind of like, you know, just like you're a consultant and they pay you by the project. It's like, oh, okay. And so that sort of kicked it off. Um, and when I finally, to make a long story short, I ended up literally overnight and working on, on Marlboro 98% of the time I was at Burnett mm-hmm. uh, for all those years, truly because of the way the brand worked, satisfied my creative need. You know, gotcha. I mean, we didn't rewrite come to Marlboro country, come to where the flavor is. I mean, that was done. That was great. But how do you, how do you write ideas that build this brand um, over decades Right. This was all about coming up with creative ideas um, and writing them, like your presentation boards. And 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 I, I was hired particularly at the time to do one to one, what they called direct mail back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was one to one. And so you had the time to write and romance the brand to the people who were going to read it. Sure. And as I say, creatively, it, it was extraordinarily satisfying. I want to back it up though, because I am curious. So, you just to recap, you had the you initially wanted to become a university professor. You thought about PhD. You went and freelance instead, and then you ended up at Burnett. Those are, are those the key points. You never thought about going back to your PhD. How did no. you get into Burnett? I mean, I go freelancing no, to Burnett. Just, yeah, there were like lots of like mm. jigs and jags. So I freelance. Apart, my best friend in high school. Uh, was also sort of a mirror image of me, a little bit like Ken. You know, we both, you know, went went to university. We we're English majors. So what are we going to do? My friend went to Oregon. We came back. We started a little kind of freelance business here in Chicago called Idiom a long time ago. Cool. And we got some clients. So it was like, oh, I kind of like advertising. This is kind of fun. And he got married and said, you know, I need a full time job. Um, I'm going to go to work for a bank which was one of our clients we were doing like training videos so it's like okay that's cool you know i had a girlfriend who lived in rochester new york and this was in the 80s when um i i I always sort of referred to them as sort of like the big small cities like milwaukee minneapolis rochester austin raleigh Mm -hmm. in the 80s these were the cities that were the hot houses of advertising you know, really? Minneapolis. Oh, it wasn't LA. Yeah. It wasn't Chicago. It wasn't New York. It was Minneapolis. Richmond. Right. Richmond, Milwaukee, Austin, Rochester. They had like, the little Rochester had like 17 little boutique agencies. Interesting. So I went to work in Rochester. Everybody worked on Kodak, um, among other clients, right? Um, I met my partner, uh, you know, my art director, who was, his name is John Kachera. He was much older than me. 
the most brilliant man I ever met. I mean, taught me literally everything about the business. He was like, if I could have picked a better partner, there's no way it would have happened. Amazing. Um, he just was was a, the warmest, kindest, most generous human and teacher. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I was a copywriter at the agency. The creative director, his last name was Meharry. Um, the associate creative director, her last name was Meharry. The senior copywriter, his last name was Meharry. Meharry. And then there was Marshall. It was My last name is Goldman, not Meharry. So yeah. I wasn't really, you know, going to go anywhere at that place. Yeah. Um, and somehow, I don't know, I, said, eh, I met some people. They said, come back to Chicago. I, I came back. Um, I hooked up with a woman named Dale Fells. You probably don't know her, maybe never even heard of her. But then this was in the 90s, early 90s. They had she was she was basically a creative rep. Um, you went to them and gave them your book and they reviewed it and they said, oh, OK. And they found you jobs at agencies. Right. It's not happening anymore. They were creative headhunters, if you will. There's some out there. We've, we've had, I, I know a couple. Sasha. That, that whole thing has changed, right? Yep. Agencies don't want to pay and everything is digitized. Yep. And But there it was, the big portfolio, the big black case. Yep. She shot, you know, she took it around to a couple of places and they said, Leo Burnett's really interested. Um, you want to talk with them? I was like, yeah, sure, I want to talk with them. They want you to work on Marlboro. Um, and because of your background in Rochester, um, Marlboro was starting a one-to-one initiative. So they realized the limitation, particularly legally of advertising, public advertising, they, they knew that that was going to go away. This yeah. is like 89. Um, Smart. So they wanted to see like, okay, how do we talk to one-to-one to our smokers, right? So they, what was the medium at that time? Um, it was- What were you mail. writing? It was mail. 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 I, I, I was writing letters. Mailers. Pictures. We would mail boxes. I mean, some of the stuff was oh, amazing. That sounds like a nice, for a writer, that's like this, the perfect gig. Oh, yeah, and yeah. that's what, I mean, David Ogilvy preached direct mail. You should definitely take a lot of time to, to in direct mail, he wrote about. So you know, as a writer, it, it sounds like a pretty good gig. It was. It was great. But I then got integrated into the Marlboro group, not the direct group, because I was... Burnett formed a little group called the director group or whatever they called it. Right. Sure. So I was hired into that. My client was Marlboro with Burnett, but gotcha. I remember going to, to a meeting after working on an assignment and the creative director, his name was Ken Chrome. Um, he was there for decades, basically built the brand. Um, and he, you know, I presented my stuff to him and he he's from Oklahoma and he kind of had an accent a little bit like that. And so you want leaders. Yeah. He said, you know, you know, Marshall, um, that seems like pretty good stuff. You know, you, you seem to know what you're doing. Uh, but I can tell you, you don't know shit about Marlboro. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. So, you know, how can you write about the brand if you're not in the brand? Right. Uh, start I smoking. Brand, I was in this like peripheral satellite. Right? What'd you do? So I just smoking, hang out with cowboys. Well, I've already spoken. So huh. they, they just moved me into the Marlboro group. I just became part of the Marlboro group gotcha. focused on direct and also promotions. Um, I don't know if you, you probably don't remember, but you might have friends who are a little older. Um, in, in 91, we, um, Marlboro ran a promotion called the Marlboro Adventure Team. Um, it was the largest and most successful promotion in package goods history. 
Okay. Um, it, it was a redemption. It was one of the first significant redemption programs. There's a little five mile symbol on the pack and you save these and redeem them for very cool gear. I mean, gear made by like the people who, you know, like Patagonia level gear. I mean, this sure. is Marlboro. They didn't scrimp. No. Um, and for probably the first three years, you could not find a pack of cigarettes that didn't have this torn off. We created a currency. As I said, it was the largest promotion package in history. Okay. Marlboro, this is a little numerical background. It's interesting. You know, they they predominantly measure themselves in what they call smoker share, right? So of all the people smoking, how many smoke Marlboro? And they were awesome. a 22 share. And they were afraid of Camel. And maybe you remember Joe Camel, this cartoon character? Yep. Well, he they, he they were kind of afraid of him because he was like... Next combiner. Funny and hip and a cartoon, and Marlboro was a serious cowboy, you know. Yeah. So they we ran this promotion basically to just separate ourselves. I mean, they were only a six share, but Philip Morris was concerned. At the end of a year and a half of the adventure team, we went from a 22 share to a 34 share. Huge increase. Wow. So at the time. And the thing about promotions generally is that you know, you'll have this. It'll go. It'll die down. You're saying it never went down. Good. It just it was effective. It, it, it plateaued. Yeah, I mean, it, it changed the game in the United States for sure. So um, what was this? It was a promotion strategy. What was it? What were, you would collect? Well, so the, the packages the or what? The promotion itself was called the Adventure Team. So the the top tier prize, if you will, um, was ten people at the time. It was ten guys went out to Marlboro country. We, there was this five mile, 500 mile trek through sort of the four corners, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah. All right. By white river rafting horseback, uh, motorcycle and four wheel um, Jeeps for 10 days, 10 guys would go out there and cool. we, we were led through this Marlboro country experience. It was amazing, but it was only 10 people. So yeah. the biggest, most, you know, influential part of the program was if you can't make the team get the gear get that the, gear. the team carries. So everybody collected, you know, everybody who wanted to apply, only 10 people were chosen, right. but millions and millions of people saved coupons, not a coupon, a little cut this little five mile symbol out mm -hmm. to quote five miles, track the team. So get the miles, get the gear. So you save these little mile things, gotcha. get the gear. Gotcha. And, yep. and that went on for quite a number of years. And, oh. and it, as I said, it was the most successful and, and um, the largest, most successful promotion in package goods history. So um, I didn't invent it, but I, I led it. It was nice. I was responsible for it. More than the it. McDonald's Scrabble? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I saw there was like a documentary on that Scrabble or some sort of Simon agency that was not doing things properly or they had some conspiracy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't well, have to get into that. Like, um, uh, what, what's the what's the online place where people sell stuff? Um, eBay. eBay. Go to eBay. Type in Marlboro Adventure Team. Yeah, and you'll see gear. Cool gear. T-shirts and hats. How expensive but they're going for now? Good, you think good stuff. Like it's really good. Um, and that as, now as that stuff just ages. Too. Sorry, it ages so nicely. That retro aspect of it too. Like it's just so collectibles now. Great, you know. And as mm -hmm. our as the Do you brand have anything? Manager, 
No, I don't remember who made it, but it was a very high-end manufacturer. Okay. Um, and, and Nancy Lund, who was the brand manager at the time at Marlboro, she said, remember, when you bring us ideas, we're not Marlboro County. We are Marlboro Country. Big ideas. It. Big ideas that would always be executed flawlessly. You know, if they had, I mean, they had, they had the money to do it. They That's the, they that helps. Frivolous, but if they saw an idea that was like what most people thought would be astronomically expensive and they saw the value in it, they'd fund it. And that's Which so nice. Creative is like amazing. What do you want, right? Yeah, they want big ideas, and they're not afraid to spend money. They want. They're pushing you. They're. That sounds like the perfect uh, creative client. And nobody uh, knew that. That was like the deep kept secret. Is that everyone thought, you know, oh, you work on Marlboro, you know, it's an art director thing. What, what's a, a writer going to do? Very few clients had the kind of money that they would spend for creative. And if you're a creative, you want to execute your stuff. Yeah. You know? And they, you know, we did film. We did we did um, commercials, yeah. They were shot by um, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother. Oh, really? Cool. We didn't fuck around. Sorry, I don't. Think yeah, no, you're getting this right. Yeah. Um, they got the best people possible to. to we got. Well, to they, they got one of the best agencies. They they they're picking the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah, and they ran. They ran like for five minutes in like cinema in Germany and other places in the world when where they were able to. So there were still places in the world where they ran them, and they were really short films yeah. it was amazing stuff Very i love it and, and it is thank you for opening up about that and being candid i, I know some people don't want to work on cigarettes or, or tobacco and that's perfectly fine you have a choice as a as a professional you can right. say no you might not get the job you might not be able to work at an agency if that's the only opening but it's okay that, that's up to you that's your own personal battle whatever you think you can do um I don't know what the economy is going to look like. I mean, me personally, I don't mind working on that type of stuff as well. Uh, if you could say no to the job because that's what you want, then feel free, right? Yeah, I mean, everyone has, you know, has their own, you know, whatever moral lines. Line. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I had personally, I had no issue with it. Yeah, uh, I, but I respected others who did. That that's their feeling. Well, that's cool. Absolutely. Um, cool. Um, let's talk about, you know, you right now though. So 21 years, how, how long were you? You were 23 years at Burnett. Wow. That's a long time at one agency. Yeah. That's another thing is that I, I remember, um, always Marlboro. Yeah. I worked on, I worked a little bit on McDonald's, but as you I said, 90% it. of my time was on Marlboro. I get called in to work well, of on course. pitches products, and stuff. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I, I worked on Marlboro, and I, I didn't want it any other way. And for a while, I wanted to work on United Airlines because they did really cool stuff. But I really chose to stay at Marlboro. But what I was going to say was I remember Leo Burnett used to have an annual Christmas party, um, and yeah. they would hold it at the, the breakfast. Yeah, the breakfast. And they'd hold it in the Chicago Theater. Um, and so first you'd come to the office and you'd have some, you know, a couple of Bloody Marys and meet with everybody in your group, then go over to the Chicago theater, which is basically across the street from the Leo Burnett building. Yeah. And they would like put on the show and, and there would be speeches and they'd show the reel of the year and highlights and, you know, the president, you know, people would come up and talk and say this, talk about the year and what plans for next year. And I remember the first time I went to this, it was, um, because I, I started in 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 March, 
of 89. So this was like December. Okay. So I was there, what, like eight months or something. And I remember sitting there and going, I could work here my whole career. Yeah. I can't see, I can't ever see a reason for leaving. You know, if I ever maybe didn't want to work on Marlboro, like I'll just go down two floors and I can work on United. I mean, it was like, like a, it was like Marshall Fields, right? Like, you know, you go from floor to floor and there was, you know, you don't want to work on men's clothes, go into housewares, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think everybody, such a profound agency and normally people in, in, you know, it's not, it's not an industry that normally people stay at very long, you know, that's work here. And then they work there. That kind of this grasshopper philosophy. Yeah. Um, that's, we're seeing that a lot. They didn't make you leave. They didn't make you to leave. They didn't make you leave to get more money. That's uh, good. Which is why a lot of people would leave. That's the main reason people leave right. or, yeah, uh, or be fired. That always, right, is, you know, you pay copywriter X $100,000 and they want 120 and you're you know, I'm not going to pay that. They leave, they get their 120 somebody else. You, The new person you have to hire, you're not going to hire him for 100 you know that it's like so why go through this this game right yeah well um, they have the money and they have you have they had the the clients right. and they still do i mean yeah so it's, it's they, a money thing for sure they would respect the fact that if you if you deserve more money they would give it to you you know that's but, good that's why people stay and, yeah. and it, it and they're doing great work now with the lost class i think that work is phenomenal um matt shepherd is somebody that's doing really well there as a creative director um so, yeah, I love it. Um, but I do want to now switch over and talk about your current role because cool. that's what we're talking about now. Is, is oh, what, how did you get into, or uh, what made you decide to leave then this Wonderland? There it is, black pencil. I'll tell. That's part of my teaching. I'll talk about that. Um, so, how did I decide to get into that? Yeah, what? Why'd you leave, and how did you cross over into an education? Well. Um, I left because of the the Great Recession of 2008. Um, yeah, I was nice. I was working overseas. Um, I'd been there since 2000, um, and in 2011, um, the position that I had I was working in I was living and working in Moscow at the time. I was responsible for what they called e um, EMA Eastern Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So that was like my semi-global role sure. being based out of Moscow. Um, and the client no longer um, had the money, nor did they feel after we'd been there for a number of years that they really wanted to continue to pay for an expat. Um, in a sense, if I did my job well, I trained them. I mean, I was already teaching when I took my job there. Um, so that was sort of the start of my teaching is that when I went to Europe in 2000, especially in 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 central and eastern europe um they had no advertising because it, most of it was post-soviet union countries right they're never they they didn't have advertising in the soviet union you didn't have two products that competed against each other right there was milk and there was milk it was like you know there wasn't their milk and their milk it was you know which you need you need competition for advertising right yes. there was no competition so these people grew up without advertising fundamentally you know they saw it but they never did it gotcha so, when I was responsible prior to Moscow, um, I did a lot of work with Central Europe. And I was really more of a teacher to the Burnett creative teams about how to do advertising, particularly how to do Marlboro advertising. And then when they moved me to Moscow, um, 
again, I since I was based there, most of the time I spent in the agency was training and teaching and growing the staff of people who were predominantly Russian or came from Russian-speaking countries, you know, gotcha. so Ukrainians or whatever, or Belarus, but Russian-speaking or Russian. And they had a lot to learn. They were eager, but they didn't have the the background that the West had, right? So that was my job was to kind of share the DNA, if you will. Uh, so you are already doing, you're saying you're already teaching. I'm doing the and, teaching, right? Like, yeah. and I loved it. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, um, I wasn't ready to necessarily stop, but they didn't want an expat there any longer. Um, they didn't feel the need for it. And somebody warned me when I took, when I first went overseas, they said, be Keep it in mind, it's very hard to come back to the home agency after you've been overseas and the, with the kind of role and responsibility that you had. I mean, I, I over, in the, in the 12 years I was overseas, my role, my role of responsibility for Marlboro Creative was London to Vladivostok, Sweden to South Africa. Okay. Okay. I didn't go to every country, but literally that was the region, the areas that I was yeah. responsible for. Gotcha. Yeah. You can't come back to Chicago and be like head of promotions. No. It, it, it just it kind of doesn't work. So they're really, at the time, everybody was laying off people and, and even the home office, they were like, yeah. well, you know, Marshall, we could, you know, find a spot for you on this, but I don't think you're going to be really happy about it. So, yeah. You're right. I wouldn't be. It was just, it was underutilizing what I could bring. Sure. But that's just the way it was. So we, um, we separated. I came, um, came back to the States. I had recently gotten married in Moscow, actually. Cool. And uh, really kind of wasn't sure what to do and where to go. You know, I didn't really know that I wanted another agency. And, and at my age, I was not super hireable. Um, let's just be honest. Um, that's how it is. Right. You know, um, so, you know, agencies were looking for younger people who were less expensive. They certainly couldn't bring the experience, but there were, you know, six positions for junior copywriter and no positions for senior copywriter and no positions for, you know, copy chief or, or creative director. Right. It's just very minimal. So I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll, try to start my own gig. And so I started um, a small brand consultancy that I still have called the left hand agency. Um, and I, I do brand work for, you know, a handful of clients on a project basis, predominantly. Nice. Um, but then I, I met Ken. Um, in fact, a little bit before, but a guy I, I did the left hand with, his name is Steve Hirsch. I don't know if you know him. Another expert editor who left about the same time as I did. He was a planner, so you know, strategic planner um, on the strategy side. So we sort of partnered up in the left hand and did work. We did Michael Jordan's restaurant for a number of years. And a bunch oh, of cool. um, in fact, I don't know if you're a gum chewer, but um, do you know the gum vibe? I think it's like Trident. It's like gum that like explodes in your mouth and changes. I think so. Well, I named it. It's a Mondelez product. So I I often work on on projects for Mondelez. Somehow it all happens to be naming projects. So that was one project I did for the left hand. Awesome. We have the name for that. So um, so various things. But 
I, I really wanted more. And, and mm. um, through Steve, I met Ken um, at DePaul in yep. 2014. Mm-hmm. And we just clicked and we talked and, you know, he said, Hey, you know, God, it would be great to have you here. And there was a different chairperson at the time. Um, and she said, yeah, you know, um, let's, let's look at, you know, bringing you on as an adjunct and, you know, how about we give you this one class? So I started in 2015 with one class as an adjunct. Um, two years later, um, they made me a full-time, full-time faculty. Um, so I teach three classes a quarter. So it's nine, quarter, nine mm-hmm. courses a year. Um, and I couldn't be happier. Good. I, I love it. I mean, it, it's sort of like come full circle to what I wanted to do originally. Right, right. The PhD um, thought I, you were going to. Yeah. It's a different topic, right? It's a different category. But being a copywriter and doing advertising, I'm still talking about words, right? Yeah. Like, is it whether it's poetry or it's a great headline, which is poetry, um, or great body copy, or being conceptual to come up with whatever the idea is. How do you understand your reader? How do you understand your market? I mean, there's so many par- like parallel construction here, right? Yeah. That it it's like it was waiting for me to come in. Gotcha. Um, All came full circle. And so, what do you tell your students to break into an agency like a Leo Burnett? Um. Yeah. Well, what do I tell them? I tell them first, you've got to you've got to it's it's about who you are you know not just what you do so you know people hire you they don't hire your resume and they don't hire your portfolio they appreciate your portfolio they appreciate your resume or your cover letter or you know the other kind of you know trapping bullshit that they go through but at the end of the day when there are five people or 25 people um being considered for the job all of whom can do it Right, they wouldn't be considered if they couldn't do the. You have job. to do it, be able to do it first. Yes, right, but yeah. but that's the cost of entry, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's the pair of jacks. You've got to have a pair of jacks to open. You know, if you play poker, if you don't have a pair, but a pair of jacks isn't going to win the game, right? Right. So you you met the criteria to be interviewed and maybe even come back for a second. Yeah, nice book. And, yeah, that's good. It's inventive. But who are you really? How do you fit here? You know, companies, like anything, are, are an organism, right? Um, and they, they welcome organisms that are, I like medicine. So, you know, when, when, when a foreign body comes in, what do, we, what do we do? We get sick, right? Mm-hmm. Our body doesn't like something that far, that's foreign and doesn't fit with us. Right. Businesses are, are the same thing. Agencies, for sure, are the same thing because they're so human, right? So... They are looking to hire not a virus, but something that the body will, the, the the body company will accept in as you're like us. Okay, you may not, you may be new, right? You didn't yeah. weren't created here, but you're welcome here because you're like us. You know, yeah, you do great fit. work, but you're an asshole. We don't want you. You right. know, so who are you as as a brand, right? Like, do we understand you as what do you bring in terms of your personality, in terms of your values, in terms of what you stand for? Why do I want you, Gino, instead of that person? Your, your, your books are both great, but who's going to fit, right? Who's going to love that perspective? Who's going to grow here? And if you grow, we grow, right? right. It, it, it's, it's a totally. Um, and it should be the, 
strategic experience. And it should be the same way for, uh, when you're looking at these agencies where you want to go. If you don't I, see a I, fit, you can go and leave. And, you know, the people that you're working yeah. with are so important. Your manager, if they, if they, if you see the writing on the wall and it's, it's all red flags, you can definitely you know, say no. Reading, it's funny, you're reading my mind because one of the, I hate to call them lectures, but one of the things that I do on on on, on, my, on one of the days during my courses is um, we, we talk about agencies. And so I have them, um, you know, we look at some agencies and, you know, I, I, I show them, you know, what Burnett is like and Ogilvy and Bernbach and, you know, sort of the, you know, yeah. the grandfather agencies, the great yeah. ones, right? Because you have to understand them to understand right. what's going on today. They created what's going on today. Of course. Here's these agencies. Here's your assignment. I want you to go on the internet and research 15 agencies. Okay. You don't have to go to them, but read their website and find the one that fits you. And I said, you know, agencies, think about it like this. It's, it's no different than all of you here sitting in this classroom were accepted by DePaul. And I, I will bet you all of you got more than one college acceptance. Okay, you were well, DePaul's my only choice. I guess I have to go here. No, you got accepted at DePaul and wherever else you apply because you guys are smart. But there's a reason you chose DePaul besides the free ride or, you know, forget the money part. Why did you choose DePaul? What is it about this school? Because you could get a good education in a lot of places, right? right? You can do advertising in any agency, yep. but does it does the culture fit you? Do you fit the mm. culture? Does the culture fit you? Are you going to be happy there? Because you can't force it, right? No. The, the whole, you know, fake it till you make it is total bullshit. And I tell them, don't ever follow the fake it till you make it because you won't make it. Right. They'll, you'll, they'll, get, they'll get you. I, I think also a couple of things to note, you could do research by listening to this podcast and you, and I think you need to stay really up to date because these agencies are constantly shifting. The names stay the same, but the people are moving around all the time. Now, two years is about the average is even less now, I feel like. Mm. So don't be so attached to that name because it's different clients are shifting um so i just be very careful and make sure you keep you're constantly doing that research especially as we're coming up to application seasons and absolutely you know they have to decide you know which overall agency do you want to work with and this is what i ask them what do you want to do there of course and what what client do you want to work on you yep. know, hey why well you know i i want to work at you know the place that I want to work at William Kennedy because they do Nike or they do, you know, Old Spice or I want to work at 72 and Sunny because I love their name, right? Like what, what could be better than being connected to a place, an entity called 72 and Sunny, right? Like I think I can do it clients. So. I'm, I'm not a, a huge proponent of like funny agency names. I mean, it never used to be that way, right? It was just the name of the person or people who started it. Yeah. Well, Dan Burnwalk. Ogilvy and Mather, like but Conan Belling, exactly. They they weren't razor fish. Like what is razor fish? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But then all of a sudden, you know, agencies started to say, "Hey, you know what? Our, our names are important." Mischief, like, right? They say something, right? Mm -hmm. Mother, mothers, right? Mine, the left hand agency, mm -hmm. seventy two and sunny. I, I I think that's such a brilliant name. 72 yeah, 
and sunny. If you're a client, you want your relationship to be 72 and sunny. You want the work to be 72 and sunny. If you work there, I mean, like, what better environment could you be in, right? Than yeah. 72 and sunny. It's just brilliant. But you know what? Not, that's not everyone's thing, right? Yeah. Maybe they want to work for the classic, you know, the the you know, the agencies have been there a long time with the resources like a Leo Burnett, you know, part of a global group, right? Yeah. Part of Ulysses, or they, you know what? One of the reasons I went to the universities of Washington is I wanted to live in Seattle. So nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So where do you want to live? You know, you're going to be there every day. So yeah. these are the things you have to think about, right? Like you're going to be there a lot and you're going to be working a lot. Right. <laughs> so you might as well enjoy it. Right. And do that so, and do the research for yourself. Yeah, but when it comes to you know choosing you, um, and and that's why I, I, you know, you you asked about a philosophy. I don't know if that I have really a philosophy, but I, I have something that that I just I believe in. I'm, I'm what I call a brand patriot. Um, I believe in brands, and I as a brand patriot, I defend them because they have value and they're. They bring strength and and worth to um, whatever it is that company is, um, and whether whether it's your personal brand uh, mm-hmm. or it's the Marlboro, you know, it's the difference between tater tots and and mere potato puffs. I right? never even heard of the mere potato puffs. Well, they're not; they're just potato puffs, right? Yeah. You just go to the store and you can you can buy potato puffs, right? Right, but they're kind of like tater tots but they're not tater tots right or band-aids and adhesive strips right or how the fuck can you brand a banana but they did chiquita it's a banana for god's sakes right avocados from mexico yeah but you know what people go into a store and they want a chiquita banana yeah it's a banana but they want a banana so i i want a person who's really good at doing this oh it's got to be gino because he's just got that personality he's got that brand he stands for something you know we we do brand exercises in classes who are you you know so if somebody said to you one of the students i'll never forget a couple of them she said i'm a band-aid like i immediately know who she is right she's there she's reliable she's caring she she's protective um she's reliable you know all these things that we associate like she'll put it over the wound and help take care of interesting you know she's a bandit i i immediately know but if i don't want a band-aid in my group right if i want a cigarette lighter she might not be the person right right but but you know so we spend a lot of time that's so i guess one of the philosophies that i say is is sort of like I, i i preach a lot of brand patriotism you know as i said i want brand patriots um and i also follow the practice of um as i said i like i like medicine i I hope to come back to i hope to come back in my next life as a doctor okay Um, but they have this they have this little philosophy if you will like it's called watch one do one teach one i don't know if you ever heard it so When you go to medical school for the first couple of years, it's just textbooks. It's memorization of, you know, chemistry and anatomy and, you know, all that, right? Yeah. And then then all of a sudden, for the third year, you're an intern. And you're like, uh, I don't even I don't even know how to take somebody's blood pressure. I don't know how to put in an IV. Right. Right. Get the like application. Simplest possible things, right? Mm-hmm. So 
what do you do? You watch. So your resident will show you, you know, three or four or five, how many of your times, watch one. Here's how we do it. Whatever, right? Okay, now do one. And you're like, eh, poor patient. Sorry if I hurt you, right? Sure. Then you, your career is the do one. That's That's what mm-hmm. your career is. And then for some people, you become the teach one. Yes. And that's kind of my philosophy that I tell them. You're here, you're here to watch one and to learn how to do one in my classes. I've done this for over a quarter century. Right. Watch what I have to do. I'm, I'm helping you. And then I'm going to watch what you're doing because I want you to start doing, but you're still really watching, right? But I want you to be, you know, pro-ready when we're done. Absolutely. So you can go do one. Yeah. No, I love that philosophy. So appreciate it. So these are all the questions I have, Marshall. If people want to reach out to you, I really appreciate all this advice. And they want to reach out to you and they want to learn more. How can they do that? What's what's the best way to contact you? Email. So so my email is M-G-O-L-D-M-A-1. M gold ma one at mm-hmm. depaul.edu. Perfect. And we have, and then we'll also put those in our description here. But this has been great. Is there anything else that you want to get out to the world? Uh let the students know out there or all good? You know, um I, I don't I mean this DePaul has a great program. I'm not gonna I'm not like here to like proselytize for DePaul, but Go you ahead. Know, you can teach it. You can, you know, there are, there, we have people who really know how to do it. Good. Um, and if you're interested, check us out. Perfect. Um, you know, it, it's, and I'll tell you that, you know, you should never fear of not having a job if you're in advertising. You know, Why is as that? long as we don't become a socialized society where there's just milk, right? Ah, it's I like that. Or, or the car, right? Mm-hmm. How many cars do we have? Do we really need all these cars? Probably not. But, you know, we can go down the list, right? Yep. They all need to be communicated. Oh, I love that. It's, That's it's actually really nice. That's reassuring. I appreciate advertising that. Advertising is just, you know, to me, between barbers and ad people, we'll always have a job. I love that. We needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. So, You know, the forms we use change, right? Yeah medium but the, the the essence of what it is it's public communication for a brand yep. versus that brand that brand or that brand right they're all competing for the same user oftentimes the same user right yep. so there's always work be a good yep. communicator be a be a, a good communicator but be an ethical communicator yep don't abuse what you're empowered when you're in advertising to put language out there to a very good group of people be responsible. Yep. Be ethical. Don't take advantage of it. Perfect. All right, Marshall. Do I get a I parting pre- gift? What's that? Like snack trays or anything? No, no parting gift like snack trays. Well, or... it's, it's coming in the mail. It's coming oh, in the okay. mail. Yeah. Or I'll drop it off. Yeah, Not there you far. go. This was fun. Thank you. No, yeah, you did a great job. I do appreciate you coming on. And we'll have people reach out. And all the will be in the description. Awesome. Cool. Thanks again, Gino. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. If you like what you heard, 
it would mean a lot to us and help us grow and get better guests and better break-ins if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us five stars and a small review if you have the time. Be sure to connect with our guests if you like what they said by going to our Instagram at breaking and entering pod. It's all one word, breaking and entering pod on Instagram. We have links to their portfolios and their LinkedIn and they want to connect. So do that. And thank yous. Thank you to Mikey Malarkey, our audio engineer and Buchan Jung, our creative director. Can't do it without you two and a team from the University of Illinois. It's a student team from the agency called AdBuzz, their PR agency, and it's been a pleasure working with them. Thank you all so much, and we will see you next week with another amazing guest.